Welcome to ENN This Week. I'm your host, Phil Cross, one of the co-directors for the Epic News Network. Joining me is Scott Carter, our other co-director, and ENN journalist Hallie Ross and Brianna Monk. Welcome and good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. All right. Hey, let's just jump into this week's top stories. And again, we're talking criminal justice reform. We this was our focus last week. Whenever the governor signed that mass commutation, uh, starting out Monday this week, we had the largest mass release of inmates in U.S. history, and it happened right here in Oklahoma. Did everybody uh, see that this this week? Making kind of the headlines, watching all of those uh, men and women walk out of prison after years um, on these low-level crimes. The p- photos of that were really compelling. Um. Mike Simmons at the Tulsa World did some pictures that just brought lumps to my throat. They were so powerful, these people leaving and embracing family members and things like that. It was it was impressive. I I personally haven't heard anything about it except for since yesterday. I didn't know about it until you guys started talking about it. Why did they get released? So the reason uh, for these releases is that Remember, uh, we had the state question 780, 781, where we reclassified some low-level drug crimes and low-level property crimes to be misdemeanors from felonies. So these people were ones that were in prison on those crimes that if they committed them today, they would see no jail time at all. And some of them had been in there many, many years. But it's not – it wasn't just a clean sweep across the board. They went through and – I think it was over 400 uh, that were released, but these are people who the the DAs that prosecuted the cases had no no problems with it. They they checked with them to make sure that they didn't have you know violent past. They didn't have they hadn't gotten into any trouble in prison. No write ups. No you know major problems. And so these were just strictly the the people who had been model inmates that if they committed the crime that they were convicted of today, they wouldn't have seen any jail time. And that was that was 400. Or yes, plus 400, people. 400 plus. I think the Department of Corrections and the Pardon Parole Board got help from OCU's law school. The students there were helping vet the ones that were eligible for early release, and they had more than five or 600, and they narrowed it down to about 400. But it was the, there were some law students helping look at those cases and double-checking, like you said, making sure that DAs and other officials didn't have any issues with them. And following that up, we had kind of – it's been a criminal justice week. On Thursday, the governor, Governor Kevin Stitt, was in Claremore to do, to sign the pardon for Rhonda Bear. She runs a uh, coffee house called She Brews Coffee. Uh, Brianna and I were talking about Rhonda's story uh, just before we went on, on the air here. Uh, just really incredible, her story of – overcoming just the worst of the worst life situations Uh, you know she went to prison because she had been addicted to drugs she had committed crimes uh was was doing a a lot of really bad stuff and finally just had that moment where she you know at one point she was wanted in multiple states and multiple counties uh and finally has a, a religious you know kind of come to jesus moment where she she says, I'll turn myself in if you just let me see my kids for one last time. And she goes to prison and and really makes the best of her life and comes out and is now an advocate for those incarcerated and for criminal justice reform. Uh, and the thing that really sticks out about her story as well 
she's somebody that the governor met on his campaign tour, and I had interviewed the governor uh, when he was just running for governor. And my first interview with him, you know, we talked some basic criminal justice reformer kind of early on in the campaign. But later on, he mentions, he starts to mention Rhonda specifically and her story. And I really think her story stuck with him as someone saying, wait a minute, not everybody that goes to prison is a bad person. Well, I think it might have put a uh, face on the whole criminal justice reform effort when you see how it affects real people and you see what's going on to these people's lives, then it, it gave the governor a reason to take a deeper look. At least that's my take on it. What do you think, Brianna? I think that, you know, people don't think of that kind of stuff till they see how it has personally affected the ones that are right in front of them. Moving right into Tolando Hall, which is uh, uh, Friday today uh, when we're recording this, that's the big thing that the governor's doing. and. One of the uh, foremost experts on Tolando Hall's case is right here with us. It's not me. It is Scott Carter. Well, that case, the the people that, that who really need to be recognized for bringing attention to that case and working incredibly hard on it is the Oklahoma branch of the American Civil Liberties Union. Ryan Kiesel, former uh, legal director Brady Henderson, uh, Ali Shin, uh, those three were very instrumental in bringing the case of Tony Hall to the public and advocating uh, for her release. Uh, we visited her at Mabel Bassett. Uh, she told the really gut-wrenching story of how she had been incarcerated for failure to protect her children because they were abused by her significant other at the time. She was asked to testify against him in court didn't do a real good job of it because she was afraid for her life. And the guy ended up walking the day court was over because he'd been in jail for a couple of years and got a 10-year suspended sentence. And then Tony Hall was sent to Mabel Bassett for like 34 years. She's been in there 13 now. The ACLU took up the case. And as only the ACLU began raising Kane about it, brought it to the public's attention, laid out all the issues, and it finally caught fire. And now today, Tony Hall is going to be released uh, for something that she should have never been punished that long before to begin with. What do you guys think? Uh, you know, this has sparked a debate about whether these failure to protect laws are, are doing more harm than good. I mean, what do you, what do you think? Should a should a mother or father who witnesses abuse be held criminally liable if they don't report it? No. I don't think so. I mean, a lot of people, when they think of that kind of stuff, when they're in that situation, they just think it's going to be worse if I tell. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I personally wouldn't know anything about it, but I personally wouldn't know anything about it, but I think it's very interesting how the media had such a big you know, play, like, a role to play in this case and how it was a big part of helping her get the justice that she deserved. There are times that the press does great work, and this is one of those when it, with all the attention brought forward, when they, you lay out the facts of the case, and, and it also helps that it came during a time there's been a big push for criminal justice reform. Phil's talked about that a lot, and how after many years, I was working for the state legislature years ago, when they passed the three strikes and you're out laws. And they were warned at the time, guys, you're taking discretion out of the hands of judges. 
and you're going to fill prisons with people who really don't need to be there, who instead need treatment and intervention, and no one listened at the time, and now a couple of decades later they realized that those early critics were correct, that movement raising issues like Tony Hall, raising issues like someone going to prison, uh, Patricia Spotted Crow was another example. She was, I think, was it life in prison for like $34 worth of drugs? It was like 30 years, yeah. It yeah, was... it was a huge amount, and she ended up being released. That's crazy. Well, the really crazy thing about that also is, I mean, that whole case was, was insane because the police or the law enforcement had busted a meth dealer and turned her as an informant, and the biggest bust they got from this informant the meth dealer is someone who was selling $30 worth of marijuana. And if you look at, like, the, the, the potential crimes, I mean, it's just – I mean, meth is a far more scourge on our society. Right. Uh, and and there were some serious issues in Kingfisher um, as well at the time whenever – you know, between the justice system there. It, and I think that that was one of those cases that really, you know, set people off saying, wow, what – this isn't right, you know? That may have been one of the cases that first started really bringing attention to it. It also helped that the state voted overwhelmingly to legalize medical marijuana and kind of place it in the same category as alcohol. Um, I think you're going to see a continued movement where other states do the same thing and where marijuana just, you tax it and regulate it and it's available to people and it's no longer a crime to have it or use it. We're spending way too much money to keep people in prison for crimes like that when guys that abuse children get 10-year suspended sentences. So mm -hmm. it's nice to see some of this change. I think for uh, uh, both Hallie and Brianna, it's also a great lesson on how does the criminal justice system treat female? Is it is it equitable? It's a question that probably needs to continue to be asked. I agree. I think that I think that you just kind of have that ability just to trust the system, but you really just need to start asking questions and like, is this right? Like you hear it in the news and stuff, but you never really think about it. You, you know, you're always just like, well, you, I guess I have the tendency not to like victim blame, but just to kind of like assume that, you know, that they're doing right by her and stuff, but that's not the case at all. I think asking questions is a really healthy way to start. I think that's an excellent idea. I think that's what, I mean, journalists do. I mean, I think if you have that tendency to ask questions, that's that's a that's a good start for a, a journalist. Yes, yes, it is. All right, let's move on to what's uh, new on the ENN website this week. We've got a new story posted with a big picture on the front of a moon cake. Has anybody ever heard of a moon cake before? Fill so, me in. I have I, no I idea. I have not. I think I've seen people like eat these. Isn't it like a black bean cake or something? Like think, a, yeah, like a bean, bean, red bean cake. Yeah, I've seen them before. Brianna, you read a little bit about this. Uh, tell tell us a little bit about Megan's uh, story on the Mid Autumn Festival. So she pretty much was just doing a story about. It's a Chinese cultural festival celebrating the end of the harvest moon. Her story is actually very interesting because I had no clue about, you know, this traditional Chinese moon, moon cake. I've never heard of it before. What do they do? Do they just eat cakes? or like? Well, it's a, it's a festival that celebrates the end of the harvest, and she posts that this dates back thousands of years, and these cakes kind of became a traditional little gift uh, and dish to have that you share with friends and family, 
uh, and there's variations of them. There are also variations of this festival in a lot of Asian cultures celebrating the end of the harvest, which also kind of ties in with the moon and, and kind of lunar deities as well. One of the things that I think is really amazing about this is this is a, a big festival that happens in Oklahoma City's Asian district every year, and it really kind of goes to demonstrate the cultural diversity that exists within Oklahoma. Um, I know a lot of people outside Oklahoma just look at it as white farmers or oil people, but but there really is a really rich cultural diversity that's here if you're willing to go look at it and participate. Oh, dude, if you've ever spent a Saturday at the Super Cowwind Market uh, just off class, and it's uh, fascinating. And uh, I, my son is a, a junkie for a certain type of noodle down there that we have to go buy in bulk. <laughs> and he and his brother and sister will just, they'll eat that stuff by the truckload. <laughs> and we make runs to this all the time, and it fascinates me to see the huge collection of people of all walks of life that are there that are experiencing that culture. And, and it's a great way. One of the best ways to experience a culture is through food, sampling that food and trying things. We brought home different types of soda and different types of candies and, and things like that. And it's, it's just worth the trip. It's so much fun. And it, it highlights exactly what you're talking about. The diversity in Oklahoma, the difference in, in cultures and how they've all kind of settled here and just start weaving their way into the fabric of the state. Next up on ENN, we're going to have this uh, great story from Davion Daniels. You may have seen him on the ENN Now uh, video cast for Instagram and Snapchat. Uh, we're getting that pushed out uh, now as well. He's been looking into this issue with student loan debt uh, Scott, tell us a little bit about what Davion's got in store for us. Davion's, Davion's story, which uh, will be published today, is takes a look at what is going on in Oklahoma, particularly with regards to student debt, and how it doesn't have quite the big problem that it is nationally. There's Nationally, there's almost former college students are in debt to the tune of almost $2 trillion, and it's overwhelming. They can't buy houses. It's hard to get credit. Uh, it's a huge burden. Uh, you're seeing lots of discussions about this on the presidential level, level. Several presidential candidates have called for the elimination of student debt, things like that. And so Davion is taking a look at that from the state issue. He interviewed officials with the State Board of Regents. He's talked to people who uh, used the Oklahoma Promise Program to avoid student debt. Uh, it's a good look at an issue that is going to be affecting lots of young people for many, many years. Especially, Brianna, Hallie, you guys might end up in college someday. Yeah. How do you how do you feel about student loans? And I mean, it's so expensive to go to college. Yeah. How do you afford? I mean, I mean how do you plan? How do you afford it? What What are your thoughts? I don't know. I think that I'm really glad that he's looking into it because. I think it's sort of something that we haven't quite like experienced yet because we're, st I mean, I'm in, oh, high, for yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. in high school and so, but it's kind of like, you know, you can kind of see it like crashing into you at some point, but you're not sure like when it's going to happen because we have, I haven't really dealt with it yet. And I think it's just really cool that he's starting to like ask those questions now rather than later whenever it's like create, like, like happening to him. And I think the epic, um, the guy that was here yesterday, he mentioned something really interesting about the um, how Epic has um, opportunities to help kids going through like student debt and stuff. So very interesting to me. Brianna, what about you? 
it's a huge responsibility for new college kids and high school seniors to think about. I mean, so many people struggle with this, and it affects them even after college. Yeah. And I don't think people actually think about that until it, you know, it's like the day where you have yeah. to face that problem. Well, and the whole point of going to college is to get a good career to make money. So if you can't, like... <laughs> I, I if just all your money's flowing out the yeah, door to pay exactly. for college, it's kind of not working. It's, yeah. not, it's not a good system at all. Well, most, most high schools, especially if you're a high school senior, you may have experienced uh, making a car payment or something like that. And imagine uh, paying out monthly the equivalent of three or four car payments to repay your student loan. How do you afford housing? How do you buy food? Uh, how do you afford other necessities if your student debt is so high you can barely afford to live? Yeah, that's just, that's crazy. And it's, it's just so, it's such a big problem. And like we're, like, we're dealing with so many big problems, but like I really feel like this one has the possibility to affect like a huge percentage of, you know, kids our age. Yeah, like, this definitely takes a toll. And I feel on like it's only getting worse. Like it's only getting worse. Yeah. And I'm glad we're talking about this because yeah. this is the kind of stuff I'm gonna have to think of. Yeah. That's like, right. It's I, coming I start up soon. College next year, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. You have to go on to some sort of education after high school if you want to do any whether it's a, a technical school or a trade school or, or associate's degree or or something you you need some sort of extra education to specialize in order to, like Hallie said to to make money and and be something in in life and provide for you, yourself and your family but if you can't afford that the jobs you can get won't ever let you make enough money to save up to go to college but if you go to college you borrow money and then you're paying that back and you can't ever enjoy the fruits of your labor yeah. so i think a lot of kids my age like i don't know what i want to do yet like career plan wise like i really don't know like i have a ballpark area but i think as far as like specifically what i want to do for the rest of my life it's i feel like college is a good way to kind of like weave in and out of your options and you know, kind of like check some boxes and, you know, stuff like that. And that can like taking classes and stuff just to figure out what you want to do is going to be so expensive. Well, one yeah. one thing I would encourage both of you to do, even if you don't think you're you'll get many of them, apply for every scholarship you can. Every year, organizations and companies and groups have millions of dollars left on the table from kids that don't apply for scholarships. And that's free money. That's money you don't have to pay back. That's money that you can use to supplement your There's education. There's scholarships for everything. There is. There are scholarships for everything. Like left, being left-handed. Or being red-headed. Yeah. Or uh, being a female studying communications. Yeah. There's a huge, huge scholarships for that. So both of you and every other a high school student listening to this, you need to step up your game in applying for scholarships. Even if you don't think you're the best student, uh, there may be something in your background that helps you qualify. You're never going to know unless you ask. And then kind of wrapping up our, our week on ENN is one of Hallie's stories that she's been working on for quite a while oh about the turnpike. <laughs> Hallie, tell us a little bit about what you found out. At first, honestly, not much. It was one of, I think, one of the most stressful things I've ever had to do just because of how long it took me to get information. I called the Turnpike Authority many, many times, and it took 
I mean, up to three weeks to get them on the phone, like with the actual person that I was supposed to be talking with. It was so difficult. And I think that I'm glad where the story wrapped up, but I think it's still like, nobody wants to talk about it. <laughs> I think, when I, and I'm still like, even though like the construction's still going on and I've kind of like started to like live my life kind of around it, I've still like been affected by it. The whole like the animals being relocated, it's it's crazy how we're not. It's not really in the media anymore because like the, it's not really in the media anymore. But we're still being affected by it every single day, and so I think that this. I'm hoping that the story maybe like around my local area will get some outreach and maybe we can start talking about it again and and stuff like that. But overall, I'm pretty happy with it. I'm just hoping that it gets you know maybe some of the questions again starting to be asked about you know is this right is this what's right for the community and is this really where it should be and that type of thing sounds like a journalist working on a big story i know that feeling don't you absolutely yeah <laughs> brianna Halley, thanks for joining us today and we're going to wrap this up make sure you head over to epicnewsnetwork.org to read all of these stories and more we've got a lot of great content up there you can check us out on your social sites as well facebook twitter instagram snapchat we are there wherever you are uh, and look forward to hearing from you. Let us know if there's something you want us to cover in the comments or send us an email. Uh, for Scott Carter, Hallie Ross, and Brianna Monk, I'm Phil Cross, and this is Minute This Week.